Welcome to Glib Shark, the podcasting madness of three people and the shark of their dreams. Our hosts include Jack Jenga Ship Edithel, Lauren Oboe Crazy Urban, and Jonathan Roadblock Cerna. Dive in as they chat with interesting people across the internet and generally talk about really geeky things. Be a chum and join us, won't you? It's time for Glib Shark. All right. Uh, let me make sure we're rolling on that. We are. I think we're good to go. Hi, I'm Jack. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Lauren. And we are Glib Shark. We are recording this on October 4th, uh, 2016, and a fine mahawk to you all. Uh, there's a vice presidential debate going on somewhere else, but if you're listening to this live, you're probably looking to get away from that. So at this point, I'll turn it over to the lovely, the talented, the amazing Oboe Crazy, here to do a little something that we call This Week in Geek. How are you, Lauren? Okay, so I got to ask before I dive into This Week in Geek, what, happy mahawk? What's that? A fine mahawk to you all. So um, there's a joke from The Simpsons where uh, Sideshow Bob runs for for office, and uh, the party is depicted to be like these arcane, like uh, like cultist monsters, and like there's the greeting for the party is mahawk, mahawk, and then oh. bu- yeah. I wow, you dug second- deep for that one. You did. Yeah. I'm impressed. I feel like one of the the longest running shows in television history isn't that deep a cut. Well, well the episodes from 20 years ago are. Yes, at this point, absolutely. Also, um, so we're recording this, as you mentioned, on October 4th. October 3rd, which was yesterday, was the Jewish New Year. So for a brief moment, I thought I had missed some other cultural event in another, you know, festive religion. Uh, But so anyway, Lashana Tova, Happy New Year. A day late for my Jewish friends. We're not going to talk about that, though. We're going to start by talking about trees. Because trees. So trees can go extinct just like animals can. And it's just as sad. But it's also just as happy when you find out that, no, actually, they're not extinct. So there was a recent survey of trees in the Queen's Garden at the Palace of Holly Rose in Edinburgh, Scotland. And botanists were shocked, absolutely shocked to discover that there were two elms just sitting there enjoying life in the middle of the garden And these are elms that are supposed to have been extinct for about a half a century. These are two trees that belong to a species known as the Wentworth elm. And scientists thought it had gone extinct last century on account of Dutch elm disease. And it turns out that not only were they wrong, but that nobody has seemed to notice these giant trees in the Queen's Garden. See, these are not like little tiny trees sitting in a corner of a place that nobody ever visits. They're giant trees. They're some of the most photographed trees on the palace grounds. And everybody has seen them. But apparently the type of elm that they are is thought to have been extinct up until now. So Max Coleman of the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh is uh, put out a release stating, quote, and I'm not going to do a Scottish accent because I, I can't. Do it. Do it. <sighs> Practice for D&D. No, because at least on D&D, when I sound like an idiot, I can say, well, it's just how it sounds. All right, fine. Such a discovery when the trees in question are just shy of 100 feet and in plain sight does sound rather odd. 
I apologize now to everybody in Scotland. Uh, Coleman identified the specimens after they were flagged as being unusual during a recent tree survey. Also, I just found out today that there's a thing that's called a survey of trees. The trees have a weeping willow-like appearance and feature large glossy leaves and are actually quite gorgeous. Now, hopefully they're going to be able to propagate these trees and take them out of now being severely endangered. But, you know, there's only two to work with, so it might take a little while. Meanwhile, they're looking into ways to preserve and propagate these last two remaining specimens. And you can guess that probably access to that garden might become a little more restricted in the future. Moving on from trees to video games. I've got two different video game stories and they have nothing to do with trees. And so that is how I'm moving on. First, if you've been playing the latest Madden, which a lot of people have, that would be, of course, uh, NFL 17. Boy, do I now feel old. It's supposedly the most realistic football game on earth. Unless you happen to want the sun to set in the right part of the sky. So during evening games in Los Angeles for the Los Angeles Rams, the sun appears to set in the east. Uh, whoops. The new Madden's astronomical error was brought to Kotaku's attention by a 31-year-old Los Angeles football fan named Eloy, who apparently is not only a huge fan of the Madden games, but because he's from Los Angeles, um, also kind of knows where the sun rises and sets. So it seems like in real life, because the switchover to the Los Angeles Rams kind of happened fairly quickly, there's a, a thought that maybe in trying to make sure that the game was as accurate as possible, that a few things were a little inaccurate. You do have to actually look at some Google Maps and do some comparisons. And true, if you don't know, if you've never been to the stadium or if you don't care, it's not like you can really, really tell. But apparently it's it's pretty obvious if you know. Apparently there might also be other flaws in other locations in the game because, you know, it's an NFL game and it's not an astronomical survey. And apparently they didn't have Neil deGrasse Tyson consulting on the game. Now, Kotaku reached out to uh, EA asking if this was going to be fixed. And probably not. I mean, really, how many fans are actually looking up at where the sun sets during the evening? An EA spokesperson did say, quote, it's a testament to our fans that they know everything about their favorite teams, including where the sun sets in their stadium. Our, our team is investigating the issue and working on correcting it for future editions of Madden NFL. In the meantime, we hope players enjoy this sneak peek into what the world might look like if the earth rotated in the opposite direction. End quote. Cheeky, funny, but hey, you know, if you're going to play an NFL game and you're going to care about the stars, then you probably want to play a different game. I hear there's this game called No Man's Sky that might be for you. Speaking of games in general, although not games you would find uh, maybe on the Xbox One. So if you're an Xbox player, you like getting achievements. Achievements are fun. Achievements are cool. Achievements come with this iconic little noise that makes us gamers pretty happy. So if you're an Xbox preview member, you might have noticed that that achievement might look a bit different depending on what achievement you get. So apparently there are now special rare achievements that if you actually earn one during the process of playing a game, you get a special 
epic version of the sound and a diamond icon shows up, you know, at the very bottom where normally your little bleep achievement thing pops up, or as Caboose would say, bleep bloop. So you can actually check out a video of Xbox's Major Nelson chatting about this new version of the achievement. He also put out a SoundCloud 11-second uh, bit of the actual noise of the achievement. Um, the preview function, or the players who are now currently in Xbox's preview program, which I'm actually a part of, will get to participate in this. They didn't specify about how rare the achievement actually has to be for it to earn this little special bleep bloop. But, you know, it'll be kind of fun when it actually pops up. And I bet you you're going to be seeing, at least when that first rolls out to the general populace, a lot of people who are actually recording, hey, look, I got this special rare achievement. And you know what? It's fun. I like them. I'm not an achievement whore, but I do like getting achievements. And that's all for This Week in Geek. I'm Obo Crazy, and bleep bloop, this is an achievement for the highest number of glib sharks that I've been a part of. Bleep bloop. <laughs> Going for the high score, I see. Yeah, the world is indeed a strange place. If you have a fact you want read live and on the air, you can send it to Lauren at obocrazy.com and she'll read it. And while you're at it, go to glibshark.com, full of uh, past episodes of Jenga Jam, uh, the Buttcast, Glibshark, and of course, Dungeons and Dragons and Drunks, glibshark.com. That's where you go. Real quick, I'm actually going to play that sound, and we won't oh. hear it, but it will be on the recording. So here we go. Wow, that sounded great. No, no, it, hold on. It's uh, 11 seconds. It's 11 seconds. seconds. All right, take two. <laughs> I'll tell you when it's done. Sounds good. Hold on. I have to start it from the beginning now. Uh, nope. Stop. All right. Nope. <laughs> God damn it. Do this All right. Hang on. I just refreshed the page. Okay. Here we go. Finally. Joining right. me today is Greg. Yay. Yay. And for yeah, those so of you listening live, that has been our meditation on silence and the importance of letting stillness into your life once in a while. No. Oh, no. It's they heard it too. Oh. We it's just us. Well, I was thinking about meditation and silence and uh, stillness. And if you were thinking about sending in questions for Dungeons and Dragons and Drunks, topic switch, the... The, there's no hard and fast deadline, but if you want to definitely be in the next episode of Drinks with the DM, which is going up next week, you want to get in your question probably by the time you finished listening to this live clip shark, because I'm going to be recording that super soon. So get your questions in on Twitter. You can always DM me. You can always uh, find me on Rooster Teeth to send me your question. I've already gotten a lot of really fun, interesting questions, but I will always take more. More so asbestos. what have you guys been watching? Oh, funny you should ask that. So today was my last day off in a while, and um, I sort of marathoned the vast majority of Luke Cage. I have a few episodes to go, but oh man, so good, so amazing. 
such a love letter to the 70s black exploitation movies while also a modern commentary on a lot of things going on right now oh, with I, prisons and racial relations. Yeah, I, I think, and this has been spoken of a lot, the fact that he is a black man in a hoodie getting shot, sometimes by cops, and not dying is, that is definitely a statement. Then on the nose. And aside I, from I will say this before we go too much further. I've literally only seen episode one. We really enjoyed it. We totally intend on watching the rest of it, but because of work and time and shit, Luke and I have wanted to sit down and, and watch the whole thing and we probably won't get to the rest of it until this this weekend. That's fine. I, I, I mean, definitely you, Yeah. Yeah, we weren't gonna spoil anyway because we're not in the spoiler section of the show. But I yeah. mean, just speaking broadly about it, it's it is an excellent show, and I've said this a couple of times that um, every Marvel series feels different than the last. Yeah. Daredevil was nothing like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Jessica Jones was very different from Daredevil, and Luke Cage is very different from anything Marvel's ever done. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I want to address the elephant in the room a little bit. I've seen a little bit of, uh, you know, commentaries and complaints that it's not white enough interestingly enough yeah. it's it, it's set in harlem what i don't know what you want um now you get a little taste of what i have experienced in terms of underrepresentation pretty much for the past 34 years so yeah hey white people if you're upset yeah. at the lack of white people on luke cage turn to literally any other channel on tv yeah, try being Indian for a while. I don't know that we're ever in my lifetime going to get like a, a network TV show, even that like that has a major a majority Indian cast. It's just maybe on YouTube you'll have some stuff. I'm sure there's stuff already, but like imagine going that through that for the past thirty years. And honestly, it's just it's such an interesting world. I mean, it's just the poetry of it, like the the references to the Harlem Renaissance, the references to to seventies stuff, to to just New York in, in general and, and the brilliant music and the performance by like, I don't know if I want to mention artists because those be spoilers, right? Yeah, just leave it leave it be. Yeah, but just the artists that are performing, you know, are just involved with this thing. You're just, it's incredible. And it feels like something dynamic and, and timely, but also has a timeless quality. I think it's going to hold up to, to multiple viewings. So I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, go watch uh, Luke Cage. Marvel does it again. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the rest. The first episode was um, intriguing and interesting. Yeah. I am super happy that it was not an origin story. I, I suspect we'll dive a little bit into that in later episodes. I'm hoping it's not going to, we're not going to get an entire episode of origin story, but I I really liked it a lot. I thought it was incredibly well done and fascinating and and at least the first episode gave me enough about um the the world the major characters the major plot and you know what what seems to be going on in general that i'm i'm excited to see how this all plays out and if you're the kind of person who's interested in reading the comics the stuff is based on or just getting more stuff about the character, I would highly recommend uh, picking up uh, Brian Michael Bendis's runs on both Alias, which is the Jessica Jones series, which Luke Cage preaches prominently into, as well as his run on New Avengers, where Luke Cage was an Avenger for a very, very long time. So if you can find those books or on Marvel MCU or just in those, dollar, those 10 cent boxes or whatever, go for it. So when we watched the first episode, and this is not really a spoiler at all, the only complaint that my husband had 
was that they didn't put Luke Cage in his iconic yellow t-shirt. But I did notice that the hoodie that you guys talked about did have, at least in the first episode, an inner lining of yellow, which I I cannot imagine was coincidental. I you know, I didn't even notice that, but I, I imagine it's a nod. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you one way or the other regarding the, the costume, but... um. But I thought the first episode did a really good job of setting the world. I mean, if you think about it, compared to a few later, so come later on, I would say the action isn't as action as you think it would be. But like, it revs up really quickly and it builds this really intriguing universe, this corner of the Marvel MCU that we haven't seen yet. Well, and I I like that at least the action we've seen both in Jessica Jones and now this first episode. The, it's a different kind of action just because of what Luke Cage is. Because he is essentially invulnerable, action sequences have a different tone because he looks almost bored. And it's it's kind of intriguing to watch what is essentially a lot of violence with a protagonist who is just bored. Well, I wouldn't say he's, he's just, bored so much as annoyed. Like... In the yeah. very first episode, I mean, given the end of Jessica Jones, it's very clear that this is someone who is a, a, the archetype of the reluctant warrior. So mm-hmm. Cage is in a place where he he's just trying to get get through, right? He's trying to get trying to get by, and you know when he has to fight, like it's not like he's looking for a fight. He's not itching to fight anybody. But when fight comes to him, he'll he'll handle his business. It's such an interesting meditation on what manhood is and what strength really can be, and. And I think those inter- ideas are really interesting. They're, people are going to be picking the show apart for years, I think, just like Jessica Jones. Hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more. Yeah. What else and have I'm, you guys been enjoying this these past weeks? Because we, we were off last week, so we've got like two weeks to catch we up. We were off the week before that, too. Oh, yeah. Oh. So we've been off a bunch of weeks. Yeah, we're we're back. Yeah. Um, I had watched... Uh, oh, what else had I been watching? Been catching up on on Always Sunny. Oh. I'm up to season six. Nice. Or at the I, end of season six. I actually have been watching actively for the past few years. I, I did see the live show back in 2010 when they came to Upper Darby, but um, I haven't really kept up with it at all. Ever since Fat Mac, I think, and that, that was like three or four years ago, I think. Yeah, I think I'm I'm I think that happens in season seven, so I haven't seen it yet. Season uh. seven or eight, I don't I don't remember. Uh, but uh, playing a lot of Destiny, uh, Rise of Iron dropped last week, and so, or two weeks ago actually, yeah. and so been been plowing through that. And I, hmm. I I've been meaning to pick it up. Like I just all of my. When you said you were gonna pick it up this week, I'm like, if he picks it up in the next month, I will be surprised. Well, uh, what happened? Especially with were, you moving. Yeah, all of my like a combination of time and funds. Um, Friday I got paid, so so maybe. <laughs> Hope springs eternal, I suppose. So, like, we were talking about uh, doing... So, the new game drops uh, with a raid. And as per usual, like we did with Taken King, I was looking for a group to do a blind raid with uh, some of my friends. And so we have a group chat of... Uh, of of different people that I that I play with. And I'm like, hey, Blind Raid, who wants to do it? And Jack's like, oh, hey, I'll go and do it. And I'm like, bro, we can't even take you on like the new raid, much less blind running or the old new raid, uh, much less the new one that just came out. We, we did actually blind run it on Sunday and we didn't beat it. We got to the last boss 
And I think there's something we're missing. It's like a two or three stage fight, I think. I don't actually know because I've been managing to keep away from spoilers. But it was a lot of fun. Like, even though it was frustrating trying to figure out some of the mechanics and and figure it out for ourselves, it ended up being a an extremely enjoyable run. Well, we're going to hit it back, I think, on this Sunday and hopefully finish. But it was just, it was tons and tons of fun. And it's been tough because everyone's been running the raid. Like, Achievement Hunter's been running the raid. Uh, streamers have been running the raid. There's spoilers everywhere. So keeping ourselves spoiler-free, pats on the back for us. Yeah, spoilers are, if you can manage to watch something without being spoiled by anything, then it's it's kind of a, a new joy in today's modern life. Like, you know, if I miss the live showings of Critical Role, which I often do because my home game runs at the same time, and I don't get to watch it until the next day, I basically have to ignore Twitter for an entire day or else I'm going to see some spoilers. So it's it can be really difficult, especially with a, a popular content like Destiny, um, being able to avoid those kind of, of intriguing spoilers. That's That's got to be a pain in the ass. Well, fortunately, Reddit had a deal where they you couldn't put raid spoilers in thread titles. And that embargo ended last week. Mm. So that ended pretty much after like everyone had a week with the raid. But so we were doing our raid right after that embargo ended. And we managed, and even now I still browse the, the Reddit because it's got a lot of useful information. And I see names and names of mechanics, but I don't actually know what that means. So, and because I haven't investigated it at all. So that that's good. And so even though I know, hey, this is a, this is a thing in the raid. It's like this is the the Metacritic uh, uh, gambit. Okay, well, I don't know what that is. I just know the name. Like yeah. there's there's a mechanic called empowerment or something, which we haven't seen yet. So that's probably a portion of the boss fight that we haven't gotten to. But I I, I don't know what that means. So I'm looking forward to finding that out. But I was actually pretty impressed with our group. We we ended up finding two of the four like hidden little collectibles in the raid. And uh, and so that was good. And, and like I said, we managed to figure out like the mechanics. We didn't really, there were a couple of places where we kind of got stuck, but it was more, okay, we know what we need to do. We just need to execute the thing. And it was very satisfying when, when we got to, got to do that. Very cool. And we got some good loot too. Like uh, I was probably the highest level, light level of the group. And, uh, and I ended up still getting some good stuff. So uh, right now, uh, some of the people that I was in that raid with are playing Iron Banner, which dropped for the first time in year three this week. And they're hoping to get more stuff so they are also ready for the raid. I, I have some goodies that I'm looking forward to trying out in certain portions. Uh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> in other video games, I'm looking forward to playing the latest episode of the new King's Quest game dropped. And uh, Luke and I have been... Um, traditionally they drop and we then sit down with a bottle of wine and play through it because an episode tends to take about three hours, two, two, three. I think the longest one took about four. We did over two nights, but most of them we've been able to go through pretty consistently in about three. So at some point, hopefully maybe this weekend, I don't know, because we have to celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving. Yay. Oh, Turkey. I remember that's a thing. That is, that is a thing uh, next week, Monday, but hopefully 
if Luke's work doesn't screw him over, will be going up on Saturday to go see his family and go celebrate a little bit of Canadian Thanksgiving early, which will be fantastic because then uh, we'll technically be able to do two Thanksgivings this year, which makes me super excited because stuffing. But yeah, uh, you are my- so lucky that yeah. you are that a Canadian is part of your family and you can like like I could uh, there's nothing to keep me from celebrating Canadian Thanksgiving but I'm not just because I I have no practical reason to and I sort of envy the people who are just like we're doing Canadian Thanksgiving because you know I'm married to a Canadian or I I I I am an American in Canada or something like that I wish and I had a solid reason I th- I think actually that's more important. Like, yes, being married to Luke gives me the out to do it. But if we were not in, in close enough to be able to go to Canada, it would actually be weird to celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving because it, it's not a thing at all here, obviously. And it's on a Monday. So it's a li- it would be a little awkward. Like we could, of course, you know, cook and do the big meal, but it's not, it'd be a kind of thing where we'd both have to take the time off and no one would really understand. But the fact that we can actually go to Canada and celebrate as, you know, just like on uh, November Thanksgiving in America, everybody celebrates here. I think that's the important bit. If, if we were in say Texas or Florida or somewhere where we're nowhere near Canada, I'd pr- I think we probably wouldn't actually celebrate it, but you know what? yeah. I have always I have been envious of Canadian Thanksgivings and because let's be honest, I well I guess I guess they don't get the holiday off for it. I was gonna say that there are probably plenty of Canadians that also celebrate American Thanksgiving because it's kind of a thing, but I guess they don't get like they like I get that Thursday off and that Friday if I choose. Mm-hmm. So, but I guess Canadians wouldn't get that sort of thing. No, the same way we don't get the Monday off, but well, there are a lot of Canadians that, who. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say that, except that. Were you actually happened, Lauren just now? Well, it it happened this year. I think Canadian Thanksgiving happens to coincide with uh, Columbus Day, or at least the observed Columbus Day. And if you work for a bank, as I may or may not, you do. So that, happy that Thanksgiving, is, everybody. That is true. You're not actually getting off for Canadian Thanksgiving, but yes, they do coincide. Um, I do know a lot of Canadians, though, who do take Black Friday off specifically to go sail shopping for Christmas. So um, while they don't get it off as part of a holiday, um, they def- a lot of people do definitely take it off to go do a shopping day kind of thing. Now, I think that's crazy because I think Black Friday in general for anybody of any country, if the smart thing to do is just stay at home and not participate because those people be crazy, yo. But, you know, if they want to, then you you go for it. Just don't get trampled in a mall. Yeah. That's just good advice across the board. Just don't get trampled in a mall. I feel like <laughs> words to live by. Don't get trampled in a mall. That's That's the smartest thing I have to say today. Yeah, I don't. I haven't gone out for anything on Black Friday in a long time. It's like, it's just not worth the effort. I'd much mm-hmm. rather stay at home and play video games. Yeah, yep. or spend time with family and friends. Yep. Uh, speaking of video games, another game that's getting ready to come out, it, I think it's on October 21st, I want to say, is Civ Six, which I'm nice. looking forward to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I've been watching a bunch of the, like, uh, previews of the different races and nations and stuff, and it's been pretty interesting. They're doing they're doing some different stuff. I've been watching a few like 
developer let's plays and there's a couple of uh of streamers and youtubers that have gotten early access to the game so they've gotten to play it and it looks like a lot of fun i can't wait that's going to be the thing that takes me away from destiny the most is probably going to be civ who is your starting country uh and if you don't know i mean that that's perfectly reasonable the game isn't even out yet the vikings sound like they're super powerful so i might try them first uh i tend to like like i i've I've always sort of liked, um, uh, let's see, Arabia is always good. Um, I'm trying to think. Korea was good in the previous game. I don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna suss out in in uh, Civ Six. Uh, probably the Vikings. It's it's probably gonna be the Vikings or the uh, or maybe the Maya if they're interesting. I think it's either the Maya or the Aztecs that are the the, the pre order race. And so I'll, I might give them a shot. I don't know. Like, like I've been watching all the videos and stuff, and it's they've all seemed pretty interesting. India is actually sounds interesting this time because they they have sort of like a malleable way to get religion. Like they can basically get any religious bonus if that religion exists in their city, uh, where other that isn't the case for other civs. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how all these things play out because the mechanically it's very different from Civ Five. Yeah. As if you play Vikings, if you play Vikings, my husband will be super excited for you because if if there's a Viking show on TV or a movie or a documentary or in anything, he has watched it. Uh, I think he's watched that Vikings TV show. I think HBO put it out, but I'm not sure. I think he's watched all the seasons, maybe two or three times. He is a huge Viking fan. And let me know if the Vikings in Civ Six have those horns on their heads or not, because as I understand, they're historically inaccurate. They are historically inaccurate, yes, but kind of awesome anyway. Yeah, I think I think gargoyles, like when they had their Vikings, they didn't have horns on their helmets, which I thought was a nice little touch. Yeah, I think it's I think it's actually an operatic concept of the uh, the Wagnerian Valkyrie with the horns and and all of that. I I, I can't be a hundred percent sure, but I I do believe that is a hundred percent a fallacy that there were no horned Vikings. So speaking of video games, we're looking forward to um, Mass Effect Andromeda. Apparently, is dropping in March of twenty seventeen. I don't know if their voice acting contest has ended or not yet. It has. Or if it's still. Damn it. <laughs> I know because I realized so this is one of the reasons why recording last week uh, or not recording last week bummed me out I had planned to do the show and then submit my my entry that night uh, but I didn't get the chance to because we I ended up doing something else and then I forgot about it and it wasn't until I was sitting at work going fuck I forgot to do that and and I had actually been practicing it's you there were two parts one was a mercenary and one was like a reporter. And they were both, I, I liked the script and the direction it gave. And I think doing the show and doing D&D, that would have helped out a lot. Like kind of working on inflections and stuff. We're in a unique position where we know how our voice sounds because we've heard it so much. Like the sound of our own voice isn't particularly grating for any of us, I don't think, anymore. Not anymore. I'm... Uh. I'm a performer at heart, so if I hear myself, I'm constantly critiquing myself. But I am, you're right in where I am very familiar with how I sound. Yeah. 
But uh, but man, opportunity lost. But you know, all three of us have pretty decent equipment at this point. So if there are any other voice acting opportunities or forays, you know, it's not like a ship to sail. There will be other chances to do that kind of. Yeah, thing, I just I feel I, I just feel like that was like I was in a unique spot to get that, and I yeah. I think I would have had a shot. But oh yeah, oh, definitely. Well, I, as much of a shot as anyone else, I guess. The fact that you have good equipment and a lot of history of doing voice work, even if it is, uh, you know, podcasts and, and now D&D, I think that would have put you a step ahead of a lot of people who probably submitted for that. But as Jenga said, I'm sure there'll be other opportunities. You know, I was, did you guys see that, that describe yourself in three fictional characters meme that was going around? I didn't Sadly, yes. Yes, I didn't participate. But what I saw people doing, especially since uh, I have, we have friends at Rooster Teeth, I st- they people like them and other voice actors and other actors kind of changed it to where three fictional characters that I've played that describe me mm. and I thought that was kind of interesting and I was thinking I think I have played three fictional characters there's uh I there's the the Billy Bob's Gun Emporium thing that I did for you all those years ago Ovo you remember that yeah, I there, do there was the uh uh, grunt birthday party short that made its premiere at uh, RT Philly, and then there was the uh, there's D and D I played Jonathan the Magic Muscular, and it's oh. not it's not too different of a voice, but it is they, those are three fictional characters that I played. Not to mention all the uh, Star Trek radio plays you've done over the years. Oh, That's yeah. very true. Yeah, yeah. I as as the DM of D and D I don't do any characters or voices. Nope, yeah. none. None. Zero. I, I, yeah, no. <laughs> I I kept getting typecast as a Cardassian, so I stopped. You know, <laughs> you know, you should commission your husband to make sketches of your most memorable Dungeons and Dragons and and drunks voice characters, like the those characters, like Tim the Guard, uh, Thontorvac, and uh, oh, who are some others that I've really liked? I I would actually like. Th- Yes. Anytime Luke wants to draw anything that I suggest makes me giddy happy. But I would actually love to see fans of ours draw stuff. I One of the things I love about the uh, fan community of Critical Role is seeing all of the fan art that comes out from their episodes. And we've had a really positive response as far as feedback for D&D and, and you know, the episode next week where I answer a bunch of questions is going to show how many people actually want to engage. But we haven't gotten any fan art just yet beyond Luke doing the drawings of uh, your main characters uh, twice now. So I, I would love to see some people doing fan art of, of anything in the show, not just NPCs, you know, your characters, settings, anything. I just really want to see Tim the guard. Because <laughs> he's kind of my favorite. Well, you're not going to see him again unless you go back to Greenest. We're not. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> I mean, there's a chance he could appear somewhere, but it would be weird. There'd be some explaining to do. Yeah. Oh, man. What if we're going for so long that all of Greenest gets taken over by four ultra powerful Digimon? That's I'm, a deep I'm, cut from 17 years ago. I'm going to say. Well, anything is possible in the D&D universe and in my games. I'm going to say no, mostly because I'm not a Digimon person. <laughs> Sorry. Digimon. Very few of us are. I feel like, I, Trevi, you might get that joke and that's about it. That's all right. It, 
So yes, please keep making keep making jokes for our fan. <laughs> we'll, we'll play to our fan. Just no, I, I know our base. <laughs> base we love you, Travi. Yeah. So I did. I've been thinking about stuff. You know, we've been talking about stuff that we saw or new stuff that we watched over the past couple of weeks. Luke and I did watch the documentary that was about the, and I forgot the name of the actual documentary, but it was about the kids who recreated Indiana Jones and Ra uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie shot for shot oh, when yeah, they were yeah, yeah. like 11 to 18. So the we watched that documentary because I, I remember hearing about that movie when it, um, for those that don't know, this VHS kind of ended up at the button a uh, that I think Harry Knowles was running and they were showing it as filler between movies and people went nuts. And that's how everybody kind of found out about this, this thing that these kids had done. And it resulted, the only shot or scene that was never filmed originally by these kids while they were actual kids is the airplane scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where uh, Indian Marion escape the temple and they're on that Nazi airstrip and they're going to steal the, they, they, you're going to try to steal the plane and then things go wrong and there's a fight and an explosion. And it, which kind of makes sense because as impressive as this movie is for a bunch of kids in the 80s to do, like planes are hard. So the creators, after they kind of became these cult celebrities because of this movie being passed around, managed to, um, they put out a Kickstarter to raise the funds to film this last scene so they could say that they had the complete movie. And so the documentary is both about them filming this final scene and the whole history of making this movie and the background of the these guys and everything that was kind of going on. It's a really interesting documentary. It's um, both uplifting and sad at the same time. It has genuine crazy moments in it. And it kind of makes me want to see the completed movie now. Um, as I said, I can't remember the actual name of the documentary, but I'm sure if you searched for it on Netflix, you would find it. And it was it was really interesting. I would definitely suggest watching it. Uh, there you go, wholehearted review. There you go. Lots of recommendation for things to uh, to watch on Netflix. I feel like, you know, I remember back in the day when Netflix started, like, what was it, like 11, 12 years ago, there was the queue back when you get discs. And it's not something I've really used anymore, like the whole, like, watch list kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure it's still there on the app. I used it once. I, I, I somehow got Netflix, like, did a Netflix once, I think. Mm. And I think I, what I did is I used, like, a 30-day trial and just got a couple of discs. And I don't even remember what there was. But I, I remember thinking, like, how are these DVDs not getting broken constantly through the mail? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Netflix for me, Luke loves it. And, you know, certainly being able to watch things like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage have been a boon. Netflix for me tends to be a slightly longer form YouTube. Because uh, the way we ended up watching that documentary is usually uh, if we're going to watch something on Netflix, Luke and I are just going to kind of chill out for a little while. And I almost never want to watch a full length feature movie movie. I tend to want to watch either fluff or comedy 
or a documentary of some sort. And so he'll go browsing through and eventually we'll find something that both of us are just like, yeah, go ahead and put that on. So we watched this documentary. We also watched a documentary about um, working horses in the modern age that, once again, I don't remember the name of it. It was an okay documentary. It had very pretty horses in it. And it had a really pompous Englishman who was the host of the, the documentary, who was both incredibly endearing and very annoying because it was obvious that this was just a guy with a lot of money who wanted to spend his money traveling the world looking at pretty working horses. And so on the one hand, like it was kind of fun. And on the other hand, you kind of wanted to punch him in the face. But he had two very gorgeous Clydesdales that were getting trained and you got to see very pretty horses. So I'm not going to I'm not going to knock it too much. I think Netflix is kind of like one of those things where I find it very difficult to commit to watching a full length feature film on Netflix. I feel like I would rather watch like six or seven episodes of a TV show in a row because the theory is you can stop any time rather than make huh. a, what would in theory be a shorter time commitment because you don't know whether you'll like it or not. But with the TV series, I feel like it's very easy to get wrapped into binge one of those than it is to do like a marathon movie session on, on a service like Netflix. Yeah. Well, but, uh, and, you know, eventually when we sit down to finish watching Luke Cage, it'll probably be more of a, a binge watching. I want to slow burn it a little bit more. I feel like um, Jessica Jones, as awesome as it was, Luke and I watched that in like over the course of two or three days. We we really did binge that. And I feel like it did it a little bit of a disservice because I didn't get too much of a chance to let it uh, sink in quite so much. And so... I actually don't mind the fact that we haven't been able to watch more than one episode because I, I kind of want to let it simmer. I want to watch another episode or two and then give it a couple of days so that I can I can digest everything. That's what I'm doing with Marco Polo season two. Like not necessarily by design, but it's kind of end up happening. I have, I have I happen to watch an episode a month. I think I'm have episode three or four at this point. So I feel like it actually works out really well because by the time I finish, the next season will be out. <laughs> so I have, I'm a bit more impatient about things. Like, I actually, I'm not in, in a position to watch Hamilton because I'm not going to New York anytime soon. And uh, a couple of our friends from the show, uh, Jules and Stephen, actually went to New York and Stephen got Jules tickets to Hamilton. So she was kind of kind of been talking about it and I had been hearing about it a bunch from other people and from Lisa. So I finally, in my car... Flipped it on to uh, Google Play and listened to Hamilton. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> I I don't know what I was expecting from what from what I heard everyone say was a rap musical. I, I honestly didn't know how or if I would like it, but I figured, well, it's really popular. A lot of people like it. Uh, Lin Manuel uh, is is amazing. I'll give it a shot. And I'm really glad I did. It's a lot more melodic than I thought it would be. And it's just, it is some, like, it's just some of the most amazing rhyming and wordsmithing that I've ever heard. It's phenomenal. So I have two suggestions for you now that you've listened to it. First, you might have already done this or have seen this. Do a search on YouTube for um, Lin-Manuel doing a performance for Obama a bunch of years ago 
in where uh, this is before Hamilton became a musical when he was still workshopping it. He does the first song to Hamilton, the musical at the Rose Garden as part of his performance there. Um, and you can hear his whole opening speech, uh, which he cut, he's giving straight, especially now in retrospect, but a lot of the audience take his tongue in cheek about him talking about this amazing American patriot who is just personifies that kind of can do rap spirit, Alexander Hamilton. And then he does the rap. So seeing it in its, it, it's, it's pretty still spot on to what the musical ends up finishing as, but it's kind of amazing to see that in, in front of the president. So definitely go and check that out. And then if you really like his stuff, uh, one of his earlier musicals, that's one of the reasons he actually ended up being invited to the White House and continuing to do this. It's called In the Heights, which is um, along the same melodic lines and where there is a lot of rap in there, but there's um, also a lot of salsa and there's a lot of uh, much more classical musical songs, I guess you could say. It's a musical about basically a bunch of people in New York City in in the Heights um, during, and I've just lost the date, but it's during one of the big blackouts that happened uh, on the 4th of July. And it's just a bunch of personal interconnected stories, uh, but it's got some great characters. It's got some amazing songs. It has that that genesis of um, his melodic rap styling in it, which reminds me so much more of kind of old school hip hop than some of the more really fast stuff now, but it's got a bit of that patter in it. And um, yeah, so definitely, and that you could probably actually watch whole chunks of it on YouTube of various versions. It's been in touring productions. The The theater I used to work at uh, did a performance of it a couple years ago. And that's definitely worth seeing as well. So if you're, if you're a fan of his, check those two things out. They're totally worth it. Okay, that sounds good. There you go. <laughs> and now I have In the Heights going on in my head, which is not necessarily a bad thing. There are worse earworms out there, one would think. I mean, I, I have no familiarity. Like, Hamilton is a cultural phenomenon. I'm aware of it, but I've never actually, like, heard it or listened to I it. I am shocked. I know. Given, I know. given who you are and given that we almost did a series exactly of that. shorts of Aaron Burr and, and <laughs> Alexander Hamilton... So if you if you can't I, I'm it's on Google Play I'm sure it's on like Spotify and other music services just yep. the next time during your commute just pop it on okay yeah I, I don't know what it is like I feel like lately I've been slacking when it comes to like voraciously consuming stuff I felt like in my twenties and then maybe a few even recently a few years ago like something's out there I want to be like a early adopter of it whether it's a technology or whether it's a thing in culture. But lately, in the last couple of years, I've been letting things slide. You've also, in fairness, because I felt this a little bit too, you've gotten married, you've moved, you've switched jobs, you, you've gone through a couple major life changes that would take up a lot of your time. You know, I, I, I was actually literally just playing Halo on... Uh, Sunday, I, I had a gig and then I came home and then Luke was working on stuff. So I sat down to play some Halo and I was playing with a couple of people who mentioned, oh, you know, we don't see you on Halo nearly as much as we used to. 
Now, I still sit down and play Halo probably three to four times a week at least, if not a little bit more. But honestly, before, you know, if you talked to me five or six years ago, that would have been a nightly thing, many hours every single night. Well, what's changed? Well, I have a husband and I have a couple of other things that are going on that have taken up some of my time. And I don't feel like it's a loss that I suddenly don't play Halo every single night. Although certainly I'm not as good as I used to be because of it. But I feel like I now have a little bit more of a balanced life in where I have other shit going on. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think, you know, not consuming media is a bad thing if what you're replacing it with is other meaningful things like relationships. Yeah, oh my God, it, I'm an adult. Shit. Ah, right? I'm an adult. Someone uh, help me. I mean, but that's the thing. Other people are adults and they have relationships and they have well-balanced lives and they still find the time to do this stuff. Yo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If, if, it's it's I, all for me. It's all about making the time. Like I said, yeah. I I listen to Hamilton in the car, and that's just that that is an opportunity for me to to consume stuff like that. Uh, Kinchin Confidential, uh, one of the first audiobooks that I that I consumed again in the car. Same with World War Z, and, and it's just tr trying to find time to fit in all this stuff. Like like for example, a bunch of the Always Sunny that I've watched. I've had it in on the background when I'm just doing mindless things in Destiny or or when I'm on the treadmill playing Hearthstone, I'll instead of listening to music, I'll have Always Sunny on. So it's just it's just trying to to make the time and, and trying to involve your spouse in some of these things. Like like I said, Lisa was the one who said, Hey, you should listen to Hamilton. And I'd already heard from other people that I should listen to Hamilton, so that's what I did. Uh, any movies that I go to, I try to take Lisa along, so it's like a so it's like a, a a date sort of situation. But I get to watch the newest movies. We actually just finished watching the Avengers, uh, which is not the newest movies, but it's new to her. Ah, yes, because you've been introducing her to the Marvel movies. Yes, we started off with Iron Man. We skipped Iron Man 2 and The Incredible Hulk. Then we did Thor and Captain America, and then we did The Avengers on Sunday. So who's her favorite Avenger? Uh, probably... I would probably say Iron Man at this point, I think, just hmm. because she's... She's liked him the most. I don't know. I'll have to ask them inside. Yeah, you find out and and get back to us. I'd be I'd be curious with that uh, subset of movies and and going into the Avengers, what she thinks. Yeah, coming out of this, like I could probably skip Iron Man three, but I personally like Iron Man three a lot, so we're not going to. Then Thor: The Dark World, we can't skip because that starts with uh, Infinity Stone crap, and then same with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. We I don't. Except for Ant-Man, which I'm also not going to skip because I like it. I don't think we're going to be skipping any more movies. And, you know, there's always something to like about that. Guardians, I wouldn't even consider skipping because it's such a good movie. And I yeah. think it, it will end up being very important to the overall story. Well, right. It, it's, the, it's the introduction of, well, the proper introduction of Thanos. You see, Than I, like I had to explain who Thanos was uh, at the end of Avengers. And... Uh, because she Which like that reference people, means nothing to her. 
and and half the people who saw the Avengers originally didn't know who that was. Who was that big purple guy? I don't understand. So dude, I, that, that's not new. That's, I don't, she's among the majority there. <laughs> I would. I don't know about that because, like, I guess I'm I'm in a bubble, and I'm in a bubble surrounded by people who who know and get excited about this stuff. So when I saw the Avengers. Everyone cheered when they saw Thanos because, like, everyone in the theater had stayed and everyone knew who he was. So I don't, I, I guess, I, I hate to sound pretentious, but I, I, I don't know many people who saw Avengers and didn't know who Thanos was. Oh, I know quite a few people who saw the Avengers, who really enjoyed the Avengers, no idea who that guy was. Zero. I mean... But, you know, that's, that's okay because... If anyone who went into the Marvel movies only having seen the movies and not having read the comic books, that is that character is out of kind of nowhere at that point. He's not yeah. named, you know, so it, it actually makes perfect sense for a, a, the vast majority of uh, movie fans, not, you know, people who've read the comic books to really have no clue who that was. I don't I don't blame those people. And you know, he's he's having a slow burn. And it's interesting to see the evolution of the culture for the past like 10 years or so where growing up, I was that person who knew that stuff and no one around me really understood it. Now it's out there. Everything that I loved as a kid is now, um, you know, sort of mainstream. So my brother is very fond of saying that the Jack Edithals are the world of one. And that's just sort of a way of saying, <laughs> I don't understand this new nerdy world that I live in. Because despite the fact that he's like a priest, he's also kind of a jock. So he's more familiar with like Sports Center than he is with anything going on in the culture right now. So it's kind of Listen. funny. My knowledge of of that universe is not from the comics because I was not in the comics, into comics. It was because of video games. It was because of fighting ah. specifically uh, Marvel superheroes, which is the fighting game version of the Infinity Stone series. So, like, when you play the game, you play as uh, a certain number of heroes, and uh, you're, the mini-boss is Doctor Doom, and as you go through, you beat people and gather the gems, and they, can, they do stuff for you. And then during the last fight with Thanos, he takes all the gems from you, has all the power, and you have to beat the gems out of him to, to, to defeat him. And actually, that's not entirely true. I do remember uh, I had a brief kind of... Uh, not exactly introduction, but I there was a there was a time in middle school where I was a little bit more into comics because of my art class and some of the guys that were in there who were really into comics and were bringing them in to kind of learn that style. Uh, so I got to read a little bit of Silver Surfer where he meets Thanos, and it, one the one story I remember is he's Silver Surfer is getting taken around to all these like different planets, and Thanos is kind of showing him, well, you know, you could help me rule these if you want. And so to make a point, he had always been trans going from planet to space, planet to space. But in one instance, he goes from, he teleports from planet to planet. And it's not, a big deal isn't made out of it until Thanos mentions, oh yeah, well, you don't want to side with me? Well, here's what happened. Uh, this one trip where we made from planet to planet, yeah, the planet we went to is dying because of a disease that you brought from the other planet that we came from. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and yeah. So stuff like that, like little things like that, kind of introduced me to Thanos. And then I got reintroduced to him in college when I started playing this Marvel superheroes game. 
But yeah. like I said, it was all like sort of tangential to those comics. Yeah, things. and I think yeah. for a lot of people our age, it's kind of the way it is. Like the all the Marvel cartoons that came on in the '90s with Iron Man, Fantastic Four, X Men, of course, Spider Man, uh, even the Silver yeah, Surfer cartoon true. that yeah. came on. And for me, actually, that my very first introduction to Marvel characters, I feel like, was a series of trading cards uh, painted by the Hildebrand Brothers, who do a lot of fantasy art. They did a whole like painted run of uh, you know holographic cards where it was like Black Widow and Venom and stuff like that, and they gave it to me as a reward for a you know a blockbuster video used to do uh, annual uh, video game tournaments, and I played Donkey Kong Country despite the fact that I had no uh, Super Nintendo, no most Genesis kid, but I did well enough. I guess everyone who played got some free cards, and that got me into the comics. And before you know it, I was buying Amazing Amazing Spider Man number four hundred, which is my first comic. Now, the only thing that I can think of, which is slightly tangentially related, um, I love the fact that because geeks have inherited the earth, that these movies happen or TV shows happen or whatever the new medium is, and they're, they're smart enough to include these references that make us geeks, when we get them, freak out a little bit. And I think there's a joy in sharing that insider knowledge with people or in being like, oh, you don't know who that is? Oh, God, that's Thanos. And he's this guy. And here, let me show you this comic or let me show you this backstory because this guy is cool. Like, that's an exciting moment for me when um, some small little thing helps me share what I've loved for all my life with somebody who is just now getting into it because it's become more mainstream. And in a slightly different way, I had that moment in Ant-Man. Um, can, can we talk about one of the, the tiny little cameos in Ant-Man? Yeah, At absolutely. this point, is it far enough away? Yeah, it's totally. Okay. Garrett Morris shows up in Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. Yes. And it's perfect and it's amazing. There were a lot of people who did not understand why I freaked out when he showed up in the middle of Ant-Man. But... I that was amazing for me because I'm like, oh, you've never seen his Saturday Night Live sketch. Sketch, you've got to see this thing. It's I'm Ant Man. It's best thing ever. Like that for me is a joy. And I know that there are some people who are dicks about it who are just like, oh, you don't know, yeah. And I'm like, fuck you. This is an opportunity to share something awesome with people that they've never seen before. Maybe because I shared this sketch of them, uh, of an old Saturday Night Live sketch. That's amazing. They'll watch some more old Saturday Night Live from before they were old enough to understand Saturday Night Live. Or, you know, they didn't know who Thanos was. And so now they're going to be interested enough to go into comicsology and buy some comic books or whatever. I think that's the the best thing to come out of geeks ruling the universe is being being the ambassadors to that universe can be fun. I was thinking that, that being the emissaries, the ambassadors, being the people who get to bring that enthusiasm that we have and have had for years and bring that out to the mainstream to navigate the waters of these new worlds for people. I'm Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> so something, case in point, an example of that is my wife started watching Star Trek Enterprise on Netflix. Partly because, and you hear the only reason she's watching or started watching it was because there's a beagle in Enterprise. I talked to her about it. I'm like, you know, one of the parts you got carefully happened to have a beagle. I'm like, no, which one? And I showed her a clip of Porthos on YouTube, and then she started watching based on that. And I feel like I was really mean to Enterprise when it was on. Like, I don't think it's a great show by any stretch of imagination, but it's an interesting show, and it took some 
made took it took like a different direction. Like one of the things you'll notice about Enterprise is there's a lot less exposition at the end of episodes. There's no life on the ship is slowly returning to normal. And I think I, I like that about it. I don't think you were being mean to Enterprise. It deserved every bit of uh, bile and uh, increase. Oh, but season three and season four, though, man, especially season four. Uh, season three. Not, not. I wouldn't say season four because I think season, season four, it, it kind of backslid. And the story with the Zindi was by far the most interesting thing Enterprise did. And even then, it had some weird time timey wimey monster of the week <laughs> deals and so and and uh oh that one that one bitch that came on and was like touching on everyone that episode was just awful i tried watching it not too long ago because i was going through like i enterprise was on netflix so i'm like okay well i'll try enterprise again yeah there are very few episodes of enterprise that i'm just like yeah this this was okay and they were pretty much all of the interesting ones were the zindi stuff I mean, I think I hit a good stretch then because the one I saw most recently was the one with the female uh, Vulcan ambassador. And I thought, you know, this is a pretty serviceable story. Enterprise was a lot like Voyager, although it was a little more successful than Voyager, in where it was an incredibly good premise and really interesting characters that for the most part just kind of fell apart. That would just, you know, for a variety of reasons, just failed miserably. And I, I, I kind of wish both of them were better. And a lot of it was, I think, was fatigue. At that point, there had been Star Trek pretty much consistently on television for 20 years. I don't yeah. think that's an excuse, though. You just, all, what you what Star Trek needed, and and it got in, and it's in two of the three movies we've seen, is just good writing, good direction. We it, just because the series has been on for a long time doesn't mean that those things can go away. And a lot of the there were actors after both Voyager and Enterprise that complained of the direction and writing, and that those were valid complaints, especially when you look at Enterprise and you looked at the sort of the dawn of uh, of good TV that it was that it was sort of in the midst of. Is it was around the same time as Veronica Mars was, and Ver Veronica Mars is one of the best. TV shows to come out of the 2000s. Yeah, and, and I, that's a fair point. I, I like the dawn of the great HDV. The Wire was on at the same time. Uh, Lost, the first seasons of Lost were on at the same time. And, and th uh, those were the good seasons of Lost. Like, yeah. like now, I would not call Lost a good show, but the first two seasons of Lost were pretty good and they were pretty compelling. It's just unfortunate that it didn't go anywhere. And again, it was a victim of network television. If Every season of Lost had been 12 episodes. It would have been a lot more interesting. Yeah. And yeah. Next Generation, for as much as it was lauded, we tend to, rose-colored glasses, remember the last few seasons of it where it finally, like the third and fourth season, hit its stride and was doing some amazing stuff and the, the cast and crew finally clicked and the writing got good. We tend to forget season one, which had some a couple good episodes but was mostly cheesy shit. I'm looking at you, Conspiracy. Yeah, and, and... Yeah, Conspiracy. Was or the that episode where that race of people wanted to take Tasha Yar as their queen. It was, was blatantly racist. Yeah, or season two. Well, no, no, Conspiracy was one out. of the good... Was, was the good one. Like, the good one. Yes, I agree. Like, 
the there's a couple of good ones in season one. There's even a couple good ones in season two. But overall, as a whole, those the first two seasons of Next Generation have a lot more crap than good. And season two happened during the writer's strike. So a network show that had been barely on for more than a season had a clip show episode in its second season. No, which is that bullshit. wasn't that was the finale. That wasn't any episode. That was the finale of the season. I thought that was during season two, the, the one where Riker's in a coma. and That and, was the finale of season two. Oh, was the fin- okay. I thought it was, but season two was also a shorter season because of the writer's strike. Well, I don't think that's, yeah. A, yeah. Any, anyway, I think it is, it is a crime against all that is good in network TV to have a clip show in your second season. But you know what? They finally worked out kinks and worked out the bugs and everything worked out and then what we remember is the fantastic stuff that happened after that so there there is proof that not only can shows get better and gel and become amazing there's proof that star trek doesn't necessarily have to have that kind of fatigue that it can get better but and, you know and i'm hoping that discovery doesn't take have the same steep learning curve you know i feel like the sooner they can get the ball rolling and produce some good stuff, the better off we all are. Because who wants to waste a year of their lives waiting for the show to get good? I want to say I I want to say that like there are, that the science fiction, the really really good science fiction to come out since Star Trek went away, your your Firefly and your uh, and your Battlestar Galactica, yeah, those would would make it so that Star Trek would have kind of like. Um, kind of like a little boost like hey this is what people like in sci-fi but then you have to remember stargate universe which mm-hmm. throughout everything that you one would like about stargate the the almost schlockiness of it and instead try to try to be battlestar and failed well you know if star trek is coke and star wars is pepsi certainly stargate is no less than rc royal crown cola <laughs> I liked I liked the Stargate TV series. Stargate Universe was bullshit, but my dad is a Stargate fan. He liked the military aspect of it because he's he's at Navy, so he immediately watched it every Saturday. Like when he's doing cleaning or popping vegetables, I'd see Stargate on TV, and he talked to me about it. I'm like, wow, my dad Stargate, knows what Stargate is. Stargate is also one of the few shows that had major major cast changes, and because of the fact that. They basically said, well, if we're going to change our cast, we're going to take all of the former cast members of Farscape and put them on our show. I fell in love with Stargate again. So they're one of the few shows that had major cast changes that I went, yes! Yeah. Because Ben Browder and Claudia Black are awesome and I'll watch anything they're in. I love their send up of, of uh, Farscape. In oh, God. The episodes where that was and they, they, they changed it up because they didn't want uh, they didn't want Ben Browder's playing the same character. It was okay that Claudia Black did, but Ben Browder was like, "No, I want to play this other thing." And they had Michael Shanks play the Ben Browder character. Yeah, Ben Browder. Um, he does some pretty amazing impressions, at least of of all of those Farscape characters. I've I've seen him do it, so it. It was kind of a joy to see that get filmed in, in high budget. It was amazing. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite bits. And, and the thing is, like, Stargate was one of those shows where you really do need a primer. Like, you need to know which episodes to skip because there's so much. If you're starting from scratch, it's impractical to go through 10 years of Stargate in any reasonable amount of time. What you yeah. need is a list of, okay, season one, these are the episodes you want. Word of warning, episode one has titties for some reason. And mm-hmm. then moving on, 
because and never because, again, never again on H. Oh, what was it? Showtime. It was on Showtime when it first started for the first couple seasons, then it eventually switched to sci-fi. And Showtime, during the first season of Stargate, was still kind of cinemaxing it up. So um, they, I think they also, they might have had Lex and then both of those shows switched to sci-fi, I don't remember. But you could still see naked boobs on on Showtime. And then eventually Showtime like locked that shit down and that's why never again. Uh, and then it moved to the Sci-Fi Channel, where totally never again. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. But that's a fun moment. Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> it's a random Stargate. Titty. It's like it's like, and it's one scene, and it does like. So it's during the scene where the um they are they are kidnapping chicks to try and find a host for this one uh, this one queen Guauld. So they they have this Air Force chick that they had taken when they first attacked. And so when they strip her down, you get her from the back. So there's no titties with her. But then with this other chick, they strip her down and it's full titties. And it's like, why the inconsistency within the same episode? Like, <laughs> like I'm, it, it was like, as much as I like titties, it's like, it was jarring because it was like, why is this scene so much different from the other one? Why, why aren't they more similar? I, 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 I would have... I would have gone for double titties or no titties at all. Mm. Now, the, the Stargate. It was Stargate. Weird. It was Stargate. I love that that show. It you know, and also I watched it for many many years just because of Don S. Davis because he made me happy because he reminded me of my grandfather. Oh yeah, poor one. All the best Don ways. S. Davis. Yes, yes. And on that note, we've given you an extra eleven minutes this week because we love you. And because we've been gone for the last couple of weeks. So there you go. You, yeah. you can call this episode um, Surprise Stargate Titties. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I'm calling it. <laughs> our, our Sam producer is Jonathan Guald Titties, Serna. Okay, no, Guald do not have titties. Only when they are in a human host are titties involved with Guald. Actually, the Gualds don't have titties themselves. Only their hosts do. You can send hate mail to Roadblock at no. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the words you heard at the beginning and the end of the episode are from Bob Ball, voice actor. Our music is a little ditty done by Linnea Boyev. And on behalf of Lauren Urban, Jonathan Cerna, and the entire Gloop Shark staff, this is Jack Edithel saying good night, good health, and stay titty, my friend. <laughs> well, right, that'll guys. be easy for me to do. Well, sure. I yeah. mean, actually, me too, believe it or not. I'm titty all the time. It's time to hit Yes, the, you are. Time to <laughs> time for me to hit the gym. <laughs> That's all for this week's episode of Glib Shark. But you can find more swimming around the internet. Go fishing for us on iTunes. We're a five-star catch. Or follow us on Twitter, at Glib Shark. You can even drop us a line, glibshark at gmail.com. Until next week, stay sharky, my friends.